Welcome to day 93 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 2 Samuel chapters 4 through 6 and Psalm 39. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. With the northern general Abner now dead, chapter 4 tells how quickly not only fear spread through Ephraim, but how quickly opportunistic people turned against Ishbosheth and toward David. Mention is made in the text of Mephibosheth and the tragic accident that happened when he was a child, leaving him crippled in both feet. Mention of his story may be included so that readers know that he's not a real threat to David, but it also may be included to set up his relationship with David later in the story. The death of Isbosheth has a lot of resonance and echoes of the earlier death of Saul and the Amalekite, Rechab and Bana kill Ishbosheth and bring his head to David, hoping to be rewarded for their actions. They even give credit to Yahweh for what they've accomplished. But rather than get a reward, they get the same treatment from David that he gave to the Amalekite, who expected to be honored after the death of Saul. The number of deaths that have helped David rise to power are beginning to stack up. In each case, David is narrated as trying to distance himself from the action, but one can't deny that he keeps being helped by these actions. The readers left to determine the level of David's culpability or innocence. Perhaps these stories are a reminder, especially when it comes to the realm of political leadership, how complicated and full of compromises gaining power and influence can be. Even if David was completely innocent in all these events, he can't deny that he was helped by the illicit schemes and actions of others. Chapter 5 notes that David became king at the age of 30 and served for 40 years. This may be an accurate number, but it's difficult to believe that it doesn't have some symbolism behind it. As with Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, the number 40 symbolizes a long period of time that is in many ways transformative. This chapter begins to note many of the ways that David's kingship changed Israel. First, it unified the people. All 12 tribes make peace with David and find a familial unity under David as their shepherd. Secondly, David conquered the city of Jerusalem, making it the new capital and center of worship and identity for the people. The language about the blind, the lame, and the windpipe in this part of the text continues to puzzle translators and interpreters. The references the Jebusites make to the blind and lame may be a statement of their confidence in the inability for anyone to conquer Jerusalem because of its natural fortress-like qualities. The city of Jerusalem is strategically located not just because of its centrality to several ancient trade routes, but because of its elevation and surrounding mountains. Anyone attacking the city had to come up against it and were vulnerable in the process. Jerusalem was so secure, even the blind and lame could protect it. The windpipe may refer to David and his men sneaking into the city to attack it through its water system or tunnels. The third transformation David brings is success against the Philistines. Saul failed miserably to keep Israel's enemies at bay, but David turns the tide and creates a time of sustained peace for Israel against their primary threat. The text even remarks that David recaptured Gibeon or Gibeah, Saul's hometown that he lost to the Philistines during his kingship. Chapter 6 mentions the ark for the first time since 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6. Everything's going well for David, so it's time for the symbol of God's unique presence to return to the center of God's people. Putting the ark on a new cart is remnant of the Philistines putting the ark on a cart and sending it away, 
Only this time, the results are not nearly as successful. Poor Uzzah is struck down when he reaches out to study the ark. The book of Chronicles will try to add detail to the story by describing Uzzah as treating the ark improperly. Two things are clear, however, in the story. First, we're reminded that God is good but not safe. And we are reminded that the unique presence of God cannot be controlled. David leaves the ark with a Philistine, which is odd. Perhaps it is someone David knew during his time in the territory, or perhaps this person now fears David and just does what he's told. Either way, the house of Obed-Edom is uniquely blessed, rather than cursed, with the ark present. David tries again to bring the ark into Jerusalem, only this time with much more caution, slowness, and humility. David, wearing only the barely covering himself ephod of the priest, dances before the ark of the Lord as it comes into the city. In the text, David embodies a fervent desire for God to be present no matter what the cost. In contrast, when Michael sees his behavior, she despises what he's doing, and she ends up barren for the rest of her life. I have loved this text because of the contrast between David and Michael. I have often seen in the story David's passion contrasted with Michael's self-importance and unwillingness to change. The contrast between the two has often served for me as a description of what happens when a church or congregation is alive like David in its vulnerability and openness to God versus when, like Michael, it becomes bitter and inflexible and begins to die. I still see some of that contrast, but I'm more suspicious of the text now. David does something powerful and beautiful in the story, but now I question his motives just a little. Even the best leader serves with some mixed motives. And I have more sympathy for Michael now. She's been a political football passed around in life by various men. The upheaval and uncertainty of her life would make anyone bitter. Nevertheless, at the center of the story is an invitation to welcome the mysterious and uncontrollable presence of God into our lives. But that present can't be manipulated. We can only make ourselves open and vulnerable to the unique presence of God. The psalm for today, Psalm 39, invites us to posture ourselves before the Lord in humility, like David, as just a foreigner, an immigrant staying with you. We're not in control of God, but we're offering ourselves up to God to do what God would will in our lives. Like all our lives, David's serves for us as both a model and a warning. Here, in these texts at least, we can try to pattern ourselves after his deep desire for God to be the center of his life. So read these chapters carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions, and dance before the Lord. But feel free to wear more than an ephod. Tomorrow, we're reading 2 Samuel chapters 7 through 9. I'll talk to you tomorrow.